Some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about these things, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and I'm going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. And this makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. And then finally this verse, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's God's reading for us this morning. Brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, some challenging stuff again in John by Jesus. Some tough words, some things uh, we'll no doubt never fully comprehend, but what we're going to do this morning is we're going to tackle these verses under four main ideas, all right? Four points. First of all, this point, the world's madness will explode into shalom. I'll explain what that is. Um, if, if you remember back in chapters 14 and 15, the disciples have been troubled, they've been concerned, and we get more of that concern here, and we see why. Jesus says in verse 17, in a little while you're not going to see me again. He's going to be leaving them. In, in verse 20, it talks of the disciples weeping while the world rejoices. In verse 32, you will be scattered. And that reminds us of the intense persecution that's talked about in chapter 15. You remember that where Jesus says the world will hate the disciples? And then verse 33 has this promise. 
in this world, you will have trouble. It's not one of the, the promises we, we normally take out of the Bible and, and write in in a little get well card. This is a sobering promise of Jesus. And we remember in all this that when John is using the word world here, he's not talking about every person in the world. He's not talking about earth or nature. World is here the powers of darkness and the kingdom of Satan. The troubles of the world, in that sense, are very real. We, we saw, uh, this is a couple weeks ago now, a commercial airliner blown out of the sky while people were battling below in the Ukraine. As we've watched yet another culmination of the conflict in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas, the, there was a 72-hour ceasefire brokered on Thursday. You know, remember how long it lasted? 90 minutes later, it collapsed and combat resumes. And, and I, I prayed about Iraq, but you think of Iraq today. At least under Saddam Hussein, Christians could live and worship in relative peace. Now, thousands and thousands of the last Christians that we know of have fled the country. In Mosul, the second largest city in Iraq, that's near uh, the ruins of Nineveh that we read about in the Old Testament, there were 60,000 Christians 10 years ago. As of last week, there are none because of persecution. Monasteries, museums, historic documents, all destroyed by Muslim extremists. Jonah, the Old Testament prophet, he preached to Nineveh, right? His tomb was blown up 10 days ago. It had stood there, sat there quietly, untouched for centuries. Just in our day, a week and a half ago, they bombed it. They exploded it. This world is a crazy place. And we're not untouched in our nation. 17th floor of the Bank of America building in Chicago this past week. Did you hear about that demoted executive who shot his CEO and then killed himself? We were in, in the quiet little burg of Grand Rapids, Michigan during my study leave, and I watched the news a few times. Guess what? There's horrific stuff on the news there, too. Murders, weirdness, total madness. And, and we could all add to this picture the trouble and struggle in our own lives. I'm really kind of sorry about this. I'm not trying to be so depressing on my first Sunday back, but I'm trying to illustrate what Jesus declares in our text. These words that he spoke are being fulfilled all the time. He says to his disciples, to his people in this world, you will have trouble. But he continues, I have told you these things, though, that you may have peace. And in the midst of the trouble, he says, take heart, my disciples, I have overcome the world. And wonderful way that that chapter ends. These tough verses, the trouble, the grief, and then it opens up to that. But really, truly, we wonder sometimes, 
How has Jesus overcome? In what way? I think Jesus points the way when he tells them of the Father's love for them in our verses. In verse 27, that reminds us of that great verse in John 3.16. God so loved the world, says John, who also writes us about the trouble. God's love was so great that he initiated an eternal plan to reclaim a world gone mad, to bring peace in the midst of the tribulation. The peace that Jesus talks about, he says, I've come that you may have peace. This is a huge biblical concept. This isn't a fleeting feeling of feeling at peace. It's more than an individual thing. This peace is that word that's up there, shalom. And that's the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for things being made right again. This peace, the shalom, it's about God's kingdom coming. This is about God's chosen one, Jesus, stepping out of eternity, landing in the middle of this world, enemy territory because of sin, and gathering a group of people out of the craziness And with that group, the church, advancing in history and through the power of his love, making a difference in a world of trouble. Secondly, this morning, the guarantee of all this is the cross. The guarantee is the cross. That's the proof. And this is right where Jesus is heading very soon in our text. He keeps telling him he's he's going away and he's talking about the cross where he's going to take things back from the enemy and establish this shalom and spread it. The cross is where the powers of this world would buckle. There's a lot packed into the two in a little whiles in verse 17 and then the repeated in verse 20, I believe. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And we call that a telescoping prophecy. Jesus is talking about the future. This is a telescoping prophecy. And that refers to compressing time between two events. It looks like Jesus is talking about two things that are right back to back here. But from our perspective, we can see This is actually talking about two events that are really far apart. He's talking about the cross in that first little while. And then the other little while, though they would see him at the resurrection, really this next little while is the second coming when he'll see them once again for good and no one will take the joy away. A telescoping prophecy is like looking ahead Say you're in Colorado, it doesn't work around here. You're looking ahead at several mountain peaks in the distance. From your vantage point, these three look like they're one right after each other. But if you'd actually travel to that first one and then look, you see there's actually a huge distance to go. That's how it works with a lot of the prophecies in the Old Testament. And ones that are kind of complicated, they talk about this and that. It's actually a telescoping prophecy. And so what's packed into this verse in this little while and another little while 
is the historic work of our God spanning millennia. Too much for the disciples to fully grasp or take in because of how expansive it is. This promise of his coming covers all of history from then until now. It goes into a future time that we don't even know yet when the Bible says Jesus will return. That is the overcoming of Jesus when he says, I will overcome. It's that expansive. God, in love, made a plan to deal with sin in eternity and to save sinners. God worked out that plan from creation through Abraham and the prophets, through the whole Old Testament. And then Jesus came in time, laid aside his heavenly throne, walked on this earth. He died. He rose again. He ascended into heaven, was seated at the right hand of God. And there's a final act, the second coming, that he's holding off on until just the right time. That is how the kingdom has come and continues to come and will come. Through the cross, the place Jesus was leaving the disciples here to go, Satan was defeated. And from that moment on, as bad as the world seems, it is sometimes, its time has been limited. As bad as it is, the world's time, the worldly power's time, is limited. You know how uh, on the farm... They hear uh, the, you, uh, you cut off a chicken's head to kill it, get ready to eat it. And then the crazy thing about it, I haven't lived on the farm, but it seems to be common knowledge. I, I, I looked it up. It is true. Um, the f- people who grew up on a farm can confirm later. The crazy thing is that chicken runs around for a while without a head while the blood drains out. I really don't think I could do it. I don't think I could watch it. At the cross, the head of the worldly powers, as it were, was cut off. Colossians 2, 14 and 15 talks about our sin being forgiven on the cross. And then it moves to this big picture of the overcoming of Jesus. And it says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, Christ made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The powers of darkness and sin and death were defeated, but there's still evil and death until Jesus returned. How is that if Jesus came to do what he did? Well, the time between Jesus' death, resurrection, and return is that chicken still running around. The world's time is limited. Satan has been defeated. And after running around like crazy for a little while, Satan will finally lay down to die for good because of the cross. Sometimes the wait for that day, it seems like it's been way too long, that time from Jesus cutting off the head, destroying Satan, and and letting him run around for a while. And that's where maybe Mike, the headless chicken, can help us. In September 1945, a farmer, Lloyd Olson of Fruita, Colorado, went out to get a chicken for dinner, chopped off its head, but because 
some of the brain stem was left, the chicken lived headless for 18 months. This is true. The farmer figured out a way to feed him with an eyedropper. Mike could still walk, though it was clumsily. He would try to preen and crow and peck for food, but he couldn't do any of those things anymore. 18 months without that head. Now that's living a little longer than you'd expect. This mad world has gone on after being defeated on the cross much longer than Jesus' disciples there in our day and years past would have expected to. And we say sometimes, how long, O Lord? How long will the madness go on? How long will the trouble continue? And then Jesus reminds us when he says, I have overcome. He killed death. As overwhelming as the trouble seems sometimes, not all is as it seems, friends. The evil around us is just the twitching and the final gasps until sin and its results will lay still for good when Jesus returns one day. So take heart. Third, we read in our verses and find that our troubles will give birth to joy. At that time, God's children will experience tremendous joy, verse 20 says. And he's probably a little bit talking about seeing him at the resurrection when he rises again a little later. But it's especially talking about the end of time. Verse 20, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You could talk about that a little bit. It's While we struggle and suffer, it, the, the world does seem to party on, doesn't it? You will grieve, says Jesus, but your grief will turn to joy. And then Jesus looks ahead to the second coming in verse 22. I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and then no one will take away your joy. So there's this tremendous promise of joy after the sorrow, and Jesus compares it with joy after the pain of childbirth. Women have gone through the pain and decided to go through with the birth process again because there's this great joy on the other side. You know, there's any number of people that have more than one child, so somehow that joy is greater than the tremendous pain. I've got to be careful what I say about this pain. I think you got to be, uh, for any guy, you got to kind of keep your mouth shut a little bit about this. I will say this. I'm not going to totally keep my mouth shut. Sarah has never really ever gotten grumpy or testy with me, except for one time that I can remember. So Olivia, Olivia turned 14 this past Wednesday. She's starting high school on August 20. Well, the one time Sarah got a little testy with me was related, had a connection with that. It was 14 years ago this past July 30. Sunday morning at 5.30 a.m., we left the hospital for the hospital. We went to the hospital because little Olivia was ready for the world. Sarah and I were left alone for just a bit. 
She was lying down while I think they were getting the delivery room all set up. Her contractions were increasing. The pain was more surprising than she would have even guessed. Um, I tried to be a good and attentive husband. I might have been rubbing her arm or, or saying soothing words or something like that. She probably remembers the details. But after a very short while of me doing that, Sarah in no uncertain terms indicated that I needed to stop. Apparently, my attempts were well-meaning but misguided. I just needed to stop and be quiet. And that's, that's when it became clear to me that this childbirth thing was no joke. And so this, is, this pain, the pain of childbirth, is what Jesus is using to describe our pain in this life. The troubles, the grief. It can get so bad. It can be so bad in your life, you can't even express it. And you know, sometimes there's not much anyone else can do or say that will ease your pain. It's just there. But around the corner, Jesus is telling us, rejoicing is coming. A joy that is greater than the pain, that no one and nothing will ever take away, The glories of heaven will overwhelm whatever we suffered here for a little while. Fourth, finally today, you can experience Christ's peace and joy living for him every day. The shalom that Jesus established through his overcoming and the joy, and you've got to know this, it's not only for heaven. It's going to be there like that we can't even imagine. We should long for it, look forward to it, live ahead for it. But it's not just for then, it's for now. In Jesus, the joy and the peace in your life, even now, your joy and peace can overwhelm your troubles. In verse 32, Jesus uses a phrase, a time is coming and has come. And he's talking about the disciples' trouble. But that's a phrase that we can apply to the overcoming of Christ. The world's madness continues like a chicken running with its head cut off. In this world, we will have trouble. You will grieve. It will all finally be taken care of one day because of the cross when Jesus returns on the crowds. But also, God's kingdom has Come, Jesus reigns. Now is the time. It's not just the doom and the gloom that you catch when you look at the news. There's more going on. You can have peace and experience the joy now. The psalmist says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's not let us one day rejoice. The joy, the peace, it's for you now when you belong to Jesus. Jesus says, I have told you all of these things so that in me you may have peace. In me. And that's the key for experiencing the peace and the joy today. When you're in Jesus, you believe in him as the disciples believed here. You put your trust in him. You give him your life. You come to him with your sin and your failures with nothing in your own hands. 
for him to make you whole. You acknowledge the one who came to this earth to begin a counter movement to this crazy world and who's establishing even now his kingdom based on the love of the Father. You want to share his love with those around you. You want to invite others in out of the madness and out of the trouble. And so we go out to share the joy and the peace that we receive here and are built up in. You can have a living relationship with the Father in prayer. Jesus says, ask for whatever you want in my name. And that whatever for a child of God is whatever advances the kingdom of God. Because that's, you know, what brings you true joy, not the things of this world. And so you're involved in kingdom building. You see that that video from Elam, and your heart is stirred. You want to give to that because it blesses children. It empowers people living with disabilities too. We bring in the shalom in word and in deed. The time is coming. The time is already now. And you look at the church of Jesus Christ, which sometimes next to our uh, corporations in this world that perhaps we work in or see next to the the fancy businesses of the world that that every week are restructuring or are doing something new. Sometimes the church, by comparison, doesn't look like much. But you know better. You know that through the Word and through the power of God's love, the kingdom of God is advanced. That through the ministries and the worship of the church, people are pulled out of the pain and trouble and are given peace and joy that no one can take away. And so you invest in the church. You know it's a greater and better investment than anything else in this world because it's focused on the mission of Jesus, the one who has overcome the world. And so we worship together and encouraged and are built up together and we move forward together behind the banner of our Savior, the Overcomer. The peace, that shalom of Jesus, unspeakable joy, you can have those things in your life. Do you know that? Jesus says you may have peace. It's not just for someone else who's a generally peaceful person and, and makes it through the things. It's, it's for you too, O oh, weak of faith. It's for you too, you worrywart. It's for you, so anxious about things, totally out of your control. You may have peace in Jesus. Give him your life. Hang around for a little while with the gathering of folks here at Faith who want to know Jesus more and see what happens in your life. In him, together, we'll be sheltered from the storm and we can live with great joy toward that great day of Jesus' return. Take heart. Jesus has overcome. And you can live in that overcoming. Amen.